Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Just simply cannot believe that two weeks from tomorrow night, please God, we'll be sitting at the Pesach Seder, the way that things just fly. Welcome to Fresh Thinking's Thursday afternoon. And it's, uh, they say there's a cold front coming, so perhaps there'll be a bit of a turn on the temperature right now. It's still very decent and warm out there. A little bit upside down. The rest of the Jewish world, most of the Jewish world in, in the northern hemisphere associates Pesach as the Torah does with the time of spring. And for us, it's the exact opposite. So Pesach is in the air with all the complaints that come with it. And um, I'm not running a complaints department over here today. So if you do have gripes about the prices of Pesach foods or the scarcity of those products or how come such and such a product was available last year and it's not available this year, well, this is not the show for that. So uh, definitely commiserate with you. I saw uh, somebody posted on Facebook. I'm sure he doesn't mind me mentioning, Rabbi Rose, that maybe you should try the kind of Pesach that we have in Chabad Pesach, which is basically skip all those processed foods and make things yourself at home. Does It does work, actually. It's a magnificent addition to the Pesach. A lot of work, but it's the quality of product when you make it yourself is really something special. But anyhow, the point is Pesach is in the air. One of the things that happens at this time of the year around Pesach, and I'd love to hear your thoughts and experiences with this, is that perfectly normal people tend to become a little bit OCD. Have you noticed this? And I'm not just talking about OCD and comparing prices. You know, you can get this. I've seen a number of people do this. You can get this particular product at that shop for 20 rand less than it is at that shop. Uh, not a bad thing to learn how to save some money, but there's another whole OCD that emerges in the Jewish persona at this time of the year. And that is the OCD around getting ourselves into the Pesach space. So whether that means making sure that your Pesach Seder is that magnificent that everybody would want to be part of it, or whether it means cleaning your house, because, of course, there's this incredible need to clean your house at this time of the year. It's required by the Torah. Chomets is no laughing matter, you know, having breadcrumbs uh, inside the pockets of your couches. You know, between where you sit and where your armrest is, that kind of stuff, it's it's really big deal. It's a really big deal at this time of the year. So people do become a little bit OCD. And perhaps you have that experience too, somebody you know who you think is a little bit over the top. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Just even personal stories or, or personal perspectives on the experience of preparing for Pesach. Is it a joy or is it an oi? Is it one of those things that you dread terribly? Is it one of those things that you think that your family or somebody who you know is just crazy? They shouldn't have to do all these things. I'd love to hear just uh, insight and experience. We can share some some of our own experiences. As always, you can SMS 34519. You can WhatsApp 061-895-1019. You can tweet at Chai FM, you can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. I see that people don't really email very much, but you can on air at ChaiFM.com if you really, really wanted to. And you can even phone, believe it or not, 010-140-3020. Just curious to hear people's experiences around the build-up to Pesach. Undoubtedly, one of the stressful times of the year. Many, many people out there, certainly women, housemakers, homemakers, who are very averse to speaking about Pesach too soon in the year. You know, you've got to wait until there's pressure already building, then we can talk about it. I don't want to be stressed out too far in advance. So there is this quest for zero chomets. There is this quest to make sure that your house, and again, it's required by the Torah. It's the one time of the year that we've got to be a little bit crazy. For example, you would 
technically be allowed to keep non-kosher meat in your house as long as you're very careful that you don't land up accidentally eating it. There's nothing to prohibit you keeping it in your house. So let's say, for example, you have a non-Jewish tenant who rents a room from you or you have a a staff member who lives on your property and they want to keep non-kosher food in your fridge. Well, that's fine. You know, just kind of mark it appropriately and that's it. But comes Pesach and one tiny, measly little crumb of bread or crackers or cake or biscuits or all those wonderful things that kids trail around the house and put into inaccessible places. It becomes almost impossible to clean. That's the stuff that we have to get rid of before Pesach. Zero tolerance. So I wonder, because everything in Judaism is supposed to teach us a lesson. And so just to expand a little bit out of the Pesach preparation, to put it into a somewhat different context, because everything that we do in Judaism is supposed to reflect on elements of our life, of our personal growth. So could it be said that Pesach not only encourages OCD behavior, because in some people I suppose it does, and I suppose in some people all Jewish practice elicits some kind of OCD behavior. That's just how they're wired. That's how they're predisposed. But the question is somewhat different. Is the Pesach message perhaps that there is a quest for perfection in Judaism? In other words, not only on Pesach, where there is definitely this quest for an absolutely chomets-free environment with everything that that entails. But I'm curious, to me it kind of opens up to another conversation around the uh, expectation of perfection. Are we expected to get 10 out of 10? Because it certainly seems that way on Pesach, that we're supposed to get 10 out of 10. What about in other areas of life? Are you supposed to get 10 out of 10 in your Shabbos observance? It's surely an aspiration, but is it a realistic expectation? There are so many sub-laws and sub-categories in Shabbos that people perhaps don't even know about. And you might have been observing Shabbos for a tremendously long time and not known that some of the things that you're doing are actually not Shabbos compliant. Well, I'll give you another example. We had a talk last night. <clears throat> with Rabbi Baumgarten, who's an incredible expert on kashrut. And he was just talking about, you know, the pitfalls of having a person who works in your kosher kitchen and that person is themselves not Jewish. So you can't really expect that they'll have the same uh, concerns around kashrut as you do because, I mean, after all, it's not part of their faith system. It's just something that they're doing for you because you've employed them to do it. So we did a whole exploration of the different obstacles and um, and pitfalls that come with that setup, which is a very common setup, obviously, in South Africa. And what what interested me was afterwards speaking to people, people who've had a kosher home for years. And one one person in particular came over and said, you know, I didn't know X and Y about keeping kosher. Like a fundamental thing that every single person with a kosher home should know. And here you're talking about somebody who believed that their home was operating as a kosher home for who knows how many years, but it overlooked this one particular vital ingredient which could possibly affect the kitchen or certainly the food prepared in it on a regular basis, and they just simply didn't know about it. So there you go. Is there an expectation for 100% observance? Or, or for example, a person who's absolutely committed to the um, – ideals of kashrut, but then lands up in a situation which is outside of their control, where they land up eating food that is not kosher food. Can happen, does happen, has happened. So I'm just thinking aloud over here about this Pesach preparation and all the uh, standards, the black and white that comes with it, that it's either your house is Pesach compliant or it's not, and you are expected to get rid of every bit of offensive material, namely grain products or the like. So... 
then is is that maybe a glimpse into a bigger picture about Judaism, that Judaism expects some kind of perfection from us. Now, the truth is, of all the festivals of the year, you have to remember that Pesach is the one that is associated with the birth of the Jewish nation. It's not only the celebration of our exodus from Egypt, although it's of course that. That's probably the primary element of what Pesach is all about. But you have to know that with the exodus from Egypt, you automatically had the birth of a brand new nation called the Jewish people who up until that point in time were not a nation and did not carry that name. Up until, up until that time, they were an extended family that was essentially called the children of Israel. So at the moment of the birth of the Jewish nation, which we commemorate annually, in fact, we think about it daily because we're supposed to mention the exodus from Egypt in our prayers every single day, but we commemorate it annually in this grand celebration called Pesach. And the build-up towards that, so think of it this way, the build-up towards the holiday that celebrates us becoming who we are, becoming the nation who we are, becoming this Jewish people, is associated with a quest for perfection, for zero tolerance, for no room for mistakes. So is that possibly an insight into how Judaism expects Jews to behave? Is there an expectation of perfection? And if it's not necessarily uh, written in the Torah, perhaps you might feel that there's an expectation from other people that you should achieve perfection. So how do you feel about that? And maybe you've got something to share on that score might be quite personal. You might even want to share it anonymously. But it's an interesting conversation, and I think it leads to all kinds of places. This idea of perfection, sainthood, is that an expectation that Judaism has of all of us? I'd love to hear your thoughts on 34519 or WhatsApp 0618951019. You can call the studio 0101403020. Got that? So it's 0101403020. It's an easy number to remember. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, talking about perfection. I mean, we're not going to talk about Jewish mothers, are we? Should we talk about Jewish mothers? Do Jewish mothers have an expectation that their children will achieve perfection? Or do they have the perception that their children have already achieved perfection? Well, we can leave that for another time. Everybody needs a good Jewish mother in their life to give them that sense of their own invincibility and incredible capacity to achieve absolutely anything. That's not our conversation over here today. I'm more interested in the prep for Pesach. It's coming up just as important as it is to stock up on whatever it is that you're getting, Pesach Coke or macaroons or matzah meal, whatever it is. And just as important as it is to clear your house of all offensive chomets materials, it is as important, in fact, it's more important to get into spiritual gear. So therefore, my question It seems that on the cleaning your house side of the fence, you've got to be absolutely 100% there and you you cannot leave anything to half-baked, excuse the pun, around Pesach. So is that perhaps an insight into how Jews are supposed to engage with their Judaism? Strive for perfection. What do you think? Yes or no? Should we be looking for perfection? SMS over here from Moshe, which is, of course, a brilliant name if you're commenting about Pesach. So Moshe says, we are expected to be growing in observance, not necessarily perfect, but striving. Now, that's a very good perspective, and I resonate very strongly with what Moshe said, and to be perfectly honest, not just my personal resonance, I think it resonates very much with what the Torah has to say. So, there is an expectation of constant growth. 
That's an expectation. In fact, as the, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe would always say, every living thing must grow. That's the sign of life. When something can no longer grow, it's a thing, for example, a stone, a boulder, that's it. That's what it is. That's what it's going to be. The only thing that can ever happen to it is entropy. It can, it can, um, be worn down. It can, it can, you know, depreciate, but it can't grow. So yes, we are to grow, not necessarily perfect, but striving. So Moshe is of the view that as long as you're growing, that's great. You don't have to be perfect. My question then, Moshe, is: I agree with you, and I resonate with that, and I think it's, I think it's perfect. I, I think it's a great attitude. So when it comes to Yom Kippur, and I know it's not that time of the year now, and we strike our chests and we say that whole long list of the al why don't we leave out some of them because we're not quite there yet, because we are striving, but we're not necessarily perfect. My, my point being, is there is there not a, a, a whole host of uh, things? Is there not a slew of evidence that seems to indicate that the Torah wants us to behave in a way that appears to be perfect? Take history as an example. Look how many times, as the Tanakh reports it, that the, either the Jewish nation as a whole or individuals within the Jewish nation were held to, were held accountable and even punished for things that they did. That quite frankly, you and I, if we did those things, I don't believe it would be such a big deal. So it sounds maybe there like there is a need for perfection. What do you think? Let's hear some more on that. Um, there's another SMS over here that says, there is a well-known story of Rabbi Sol Salanta. For those people who don't know, Rabbi Sol Salanta, obviously from the place called Salant. In fact, we have people in South Africa with that surname still today. So Rabbi Sol Salanta was the founder of the Musar movement, which is a, a whole approach to personal character modification. So Rabbi Sol Salanta used to go the, back to the, to the SMS, used to go down to the docks on Shabbos and tell workers that if you have to work, at least don't smoke. Judaism is not all or nothing. That's a lovely story. So just to contextualize, that implies, of course, that these workers were people who were not observing Shabbos. We don't know the context because uh, the way the story is told here in the SMS, <clears throat> he said to them, if you have to work, that might imply... Sorry, that might imply that there was uh, some kind of forced labor, either this is possibly under the communist regime or simply because people thought they wouldn't be able to make ends meet or retain a job if they didn't work on Shabbos. So Rabbi Sol Salanta would say to people, if you have to work, at least don't smoke. So so that's nice because that's basically telling somebody, you, you don't have to get 10 out of 10. You don't. Well, at least do something. I wonder if we can develop that theory, by the way. Got to be really careful treading on thin ice over here. But uh, what about people, for example, who don't keep Shabbos? We're going to use the Shabbos example because that's the one that's happening right now, just in these SMSs. I suppose we could say the same thing about Kashrut. So if you're not keeping Shabbos, he has a thought. So perhaps you drive on Shabbos. Perhaps you use the phone on Shabbos. How's about you don't turn on the TV on Shabbos? Or you don't check your WhatsApps on Shabbos. Or maybe you feel compelled to check your WhatsApp so you don't check your social media. I promise you, people can survive without social media. I know it's like a really radical thought, but it is possible. So let's take that that kind of approach. Maybe. Maybe you don't have to be perfect. Maybe you can just do a little bit more than you're doing right now. Same thing with kosher. So Okay, so you're not keeping kosher. Can you imagine the person that says, listen, it's black or white. It's either you're in or you're not. You can't be half dedicated. So either you keep kosher 100% or you may as well just eat chaza. 
I highly doubt that anybody would take that seriously. I highly doubt that anybody would take that on. We know plenty, plenty Jewish people in our own community over here who feel so strongly, I'll never eat shellfish. I'd never eat chaza. So I'm not kosher. Do we dismiss that? Do we say, well, we're seeking perfection, and if that's where you are, the, the original SMS from Moshe said, as long as you're growing, what if a person's not growing? What if that's where they are? This is the level of observance that they have taken for themselves, and they're not necessarily going to look any further than that. Is, is that acceptable? Is that not acceptable? And, and let's take another perspective on this just to mix it up and make it interesting. We typically have a different view of the need for perfection when we look at ourselves. In other words, you have to excuse me, I'm not perfect. Very often that's how we think. Right? Please don't be overcritical of me. You have to understand I'm not perfect. Yet when it comes to looking at our leaders, suddenly we have a slightly different perspective and we are, hey, you're a leader. You've put yourself into this position, or we as a community have put you into that position. You should be perfect. What about that side of it? So let's divide this into two areas. Does Judaism expect perfection of you and I? Does Judaism expect perfection of our leaders? You've got to be careful over here because a person who steps into a leadership position must obviously be held accountable to some higher level than the rest of us because they're the public face of the community or of Judaism or of the faith or of the morality that we're supposed to believe in. But do we expect perfection of our leaders? That's an interesting conversation to have as well. So here we go. We're uh, cleaning out the cupboards for Pesach. We're sweeping the floors. We're vacuuming inside the car seats and whatever to get rid of chomets to be, make sure that our Pesach is as perfect as can be. I think there are people out there who, when it comes to the Pesach Seder itself, wanted to be as perfect as can be. So they research and they prepare and they've got an insight on this section and they've got a song for that section. They've got questions for the kids and they have ways to engage the, commu- the, the, the people, the guests who are at the table and they want the same their experience to be perfect so there there are various touch points around the Pesach scenario that lend themselves towards the quest for perfection question is is that in fact where our headspace should be is that in fact what we should be doing seeking perfection in our Judaism so we've got a suggestion of you have a strong suggestion from Moshe saying no as long as you're growing that's what counts we have another SMS that says story of Rabbi Yusuf Salanta great Jewish leader of the last uh, when when was it 150 years ago something like that and uh, saying that if, if you have to work on Shabbos at least don't smoke so what, what else what else can we develop about this about Pesach about the lessons of Pesach about the seeking perfection about whether it's something that you feel is expected of you or you feel is perhaps an unfair expectation and perhaps what you expect of others particularly those in positions of leadership especially spiritual leadership it's just gone 2.30 if you've just tuned in you are with Rabbi Shishler it is fresh thinking as it is on Thursdays gearing up for Pesach which is literally two weeks tomorrow, please God. And the frenzy of preparation has begun. So my question centers around that. There is a quest for some level of perfection on Pesach or in the preparation for Pesach. Does that spill over or does that model for us how a Jew is supposed to think and feel and aspire the rest of the year. I'm welcoming your comments on 34519 by SMS. On WhatsApp, you can WhatsApp 0618951019. Got that? 101.9? 
right? So 061-895-1019. Or you could call the studio 0101403020. And you can also... As always, you can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Now, pick and pay on Thursday night shopping at pick and pay. Hi pay is very special tonight, the 15th. You can learn, tonight is the 15th. Yes, yes. You can learn about how to choose kosher cuts of meat, how to get the most from your cuts of meat, recipes to keep you and your family's taste buds teased this Pesach. It is happening at Pick and Pay Hyper Nord this Thursday. That's tonight at 7 p.m. with the big brisket himself. Remember to look out for the deep cut specials between 6 and 8 p.m. See you there. Well, uh, that sounds interesting. The cuts of meat. I think that's a controversial topic in its own right at the moment. But anyhow, we won't go down that route. We're talking instead about perspective. Let's try that again. We're talking about perfection. I guess you do need perspective on perfection. But uh, the question is, is there a need? Is there a push? Is there an expectation within Judaism that we should seek Perfection. In other spiritual um, disciplines, there is. There's the concept of sainthood that you've got to try and attain some level of sainthood. We use the word tzaddik, which implies somebody who has reached, to some extent, an element of perfection. So, is that is that something for all of us? Is that what we're supposed? To, yeah, you know what I'm really wary about is that it's easy for us to say as long as you're growing and I don't disagree with that not for a moment I think it's true and I think it's uh, appropriate but is that possibly an excuse for inaction that's what we've got to be really really careful about because it's so easy for a person to say I am growing well how do you know how do you know that you're growing what's the objective scale meaning to say if we still have lack in our spirituality which we all do and if we're probably not just lack we probably have gaping holes in our spirituality so how do I know that I'm actually growing it's very well to say keep growing yes of course it is and that's a good attitude and don't worry about perfection that's probably a realistic attitude is it necessarily a Jewish attitude you know what's interesting is sometimes and you see this a lot in Judaism, there is the need to make a distinction between an aspiration and pragmatism. Just because my pragmatic reality means I can't reach X and Y level should never be an excuse not to aspire towards that level. It's a really important thing to keep in mind. So let's use Pesach or Shabbos or Kosher or any of these things as an example. So maybe I can't get 10 out of 10. Let's just assume that that happens to be the fact. Let's say that I can't get 10 out of 10. That's not a good enough reason for a person to throw their hands up in despair and say, well, in that case, I'm not even going to try. What do you mean you're not going to try? There needs to be an aspiration. You know, what's, what do they say about shooting at a target when you, when you do archery? That you have to angle that arrow slightly higher than the target that you intend to hit. And then you'll hit the target. If we don't have an aspiration for something that might be a little bit outside of our reach, then how do we know we'll even reach those things that are within our reach? Or to put it into slightly different words. So, 
fair enough. Say that you don't have to pursue perfection, which I think is true. There is nowhere in the Torah that says thou shalt be perfect. By the way, it does say tamim tiye im Hashem elokecho, which means that you should be. The word tamim actually does mean complete, which implies perfection. But that's complete in your faith. You should have complete faith in God. If you take a look at the commentary of Rashi on that particular verse, he says exactly that. Don't start trying to probe into the future and work out what's going to happen. Just have absolute complete faith in God. So there, there is a space for perfection. In the faith department. But in practice, we're people. We're fallible. We're uh, not necessarily always consistent. So we have to expect that there will be some kind of falling or failing. The question is, do we accept it? Shouldn't accept it. Should never accept it. There should be an aspiration. I'd like to be something else. I'd like to be higher. I'd like to be greater. I'd like to be more advanced. I'd actually like to be perfect. I don't want to just walk around the rest of my life excusing myself. And you never know. You might just discover all kinds of potential about yourself that you did not know that you had. That's very much a Pesach message, actually, if you think about it. I know that at this stage of the Pesach game, we're focused quite a lot on the cleansing that happens before Pesach, the buying that happens before Pesach, the cooking that happens before Pesach. But we can already start to talk about the attitude that is supposed to develop on Pesach. Remember that Pesach is that holiday when we celebrate the exodus from Egypt, which essentially means breaking out of that which chains us. And one of the things that chains us is, Ach, I'll never be perfect. So, therefore, I'll settle for mediocre. That's a horrible prison to live in. Here's a WhatsApp that says, keeping one mitzvah is still keeping that mitzvah. We Jews are all so all or nothing. The larger than life personalities in the Torah are the ideals. Our forefathers and our forefathers and mothers are there for us to try and emulate. Hashem wants us to be the best person we can be, not to be Moshe or Abraham or Sarah or Rivka, etc. Reminds me a little bit of the story of the great Hasidic master, Reb Zusha of Anipoli. And uh, it's, it's one of my favorite stories or anecdotes. Reb Zusha of Anipoli always used to say, one day after 120 years, when I pass away, my soul goes for judgment before God. I'm not worried. I'm not worried that they're going to ask me, why were you not like Moshe, like Moses himself? Because I'll simply answer them because I was not Moses. I'm not worried that they should ask me, why were you not like Avraham or Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva or Maimonides, because I'll tell them, because I was not Avraham or Rabbi Akiva or Maimonides. says, my great fear is that when I reach the other side and I stand in judgment before God and, they, and, and I'm asked, why were you not like Zusha? Then what will I have to answer? So, yes, the larger-than-life personalities in the Torah are there as prototypes. They're the kinds of people that we're supposed to aspire towards. You want to become. The Talmud says every Jewish person is supposed to say, when will my deeds reach the deeds of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov? That means it's an aspiration, absolutely, to be like those larger-than-life personalities of the Torah. Having said that, having said that, that does not necessarily mean that just because we looked them as ideals to follow, but not necessarily to duplicate, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's where it stops. There's something about me that I might not have discovered. I'm not expected to be perfect, correct, but I am expected to be the very best version of me that could be. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, we don't even stop to think what that means, who that could be, what that potential is. 
So those are the kinds of questions that we should be asking ourselves. You, at this time of the year, cleaning out your house to get rid of all the chomets, all the so-called objectionable material. That's fine. Here's a piece of chomets to get rid of. Here's some objectionable, uh, objectionable material that's sitting inside our own heads. And it sounds like this. Me, I'm not going to become them. That's fine. That's absolutely correct. You're not going to become any other person on this planet except for yourself. You're not expected to. But the question that each of us has to ask, looking ourselves in the eye, in front of a mirror, am I becoming me? Am I becoming the best version of myself? So maybe I won't get my house to be 100%. It might not even exist. There may be no home on the face of this planet that is 100% kosher compliant or Pesach compliant or Shabbos compliant. Might be, might be the case. Am I the very, very best my house that could ever be? Am I the very best my person that I could ever be? That's why we get down on our hands and knees and start scrubbing away over the preparations for Pesach. Not in the hope that we'll get perfection, but in the realization that we've got to try our utmost to get as close as we possibly can. And that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle, in this grand catch-all perspective that people give us, which is, don't worry, you're not expected to be a tzaddik. True. But you are expected one incre- to be one incredibly good version of yourself. Other thoughts? Uh, I'd love to hear. 34519 by SMS or 0618951019 by WhatsApp. You can still call 01. 01403020 or just tweet at Chayefim or tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Some more uh, news from Pick and Pay. Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood has the following special, which is valid today between 4 and 8 p.m. And it's as follows. Soul, tr- soul tree almond flour is reduced from 134 rand 99 to 88 rand 99. Soul tree coconut oil, one kilo is d- oil in kilos? Probably one liter. Was 132 rand 99 is now 110 rand 99. The chocolate tree Passover cocoa powder, 300 grams has been reduced from 67.99 to 44.99. Fabring and Concord grape juice is reduced from 7.99, sorry, 79.99 to 56.99. And no name kosher for Pesach shredded tuna in water has gone down from 19.99 to 16.99. That's only today and it's only between 4 and 8 p.m. And that's at Pick and Pay Norwood. Talking today about the quest for perfection Because somehow that's often what Pesach feels like Or at least to some people that's what it seems to feel like Daniela sends a WhatsApp to say I think that Pesach is both oi and joy And I wish it wasn't oi I don't think of it as a quest for perfection But definitely a quest to try to do as well as we possibly can We can focus on the cleaning and we must But we are also focused on what Hashem wants of us The Torah tells us we shouldn't have chomets not dust. Well, there's a good thing that people should remember every single day of the preparation for Pesach. This is not the quest for zero dirt. This is the quest for zero chomets. Yes, very good point. WhatsApp continues. Getting out of Egypt also means getting away from what enslaves us in our daily lives, which is exactly what I was just talking about. Sometimes the Pesach cleaning feels a bit like slavery, which I don't think it's meant to. I don't know. Who says it's not meant to? Perhaps the Pesach cleaning is. Some people will tell you that the Pesach cleaning is supposed to feel like slavery. And that way, when you actually get to Pesach, you feel liberated in some, in some way. 
But uh, yes, I take your point. Absolutely, it's not intended, obviously, to feel like slavery. So the point being, of course, that the quest for perfection has – it's a double-edged sword because if I believe that I need to find perfection, the likelihood is I won't. Then I'll feel rotten about myself and that will become counterproductive because the nature of people is, oh, I'm not getting there anyway, so I may as well give up now. Not a healthy place to be, but a common place to be. Whereas the other side of that double-edged sword is the person who says, I know that perfection is not what is expected of me. Valid. Therefore, I'm just going to do kind of what comes comfortably with maybe a little bit of extra push here and there. That's equally dangerous. Then a person gets really stuck. So we've got to find balance. We've got to find balance. Another WhatsApp over here says, Pesach prep always feels daunting, but it gets better when we actually make the effort. And when you don't prepare, you don't really feel ready when it comes. Well, that's really true. I mean, there's uh, absolutely no question about it that in that whole build up to Pesach, that schwitzing it out as you're trying to get your house Pesach ready definitely helps to get you into the headspace of Pesach. It helps you to feel more fulfilled when Pesach arrives. Absolutely. There's no question about it. So talking about perfection so far, what we've touched on is um, the way I understand it from the Torah is we're not expected to chase perfection and certainly not to achieve it. We are expected to aspire to become the perfect version of ourselves, meaning to say not perfect as in I do nothing wrong, but as in the sense of I discover what my own abilities and talents are all about and I use them to the max. Or perhaps another thing, which is quite a touchy subject, the time allocated to me in this life I use to the max. That's the blessing that we're told our forefather Abraham had. Then when he passed away, it said, well, before he passed away, he became old. It says that he was bar bayomim, which means every single day came with on his journey. There was no day that was lost. There was no section of a day that was wasted. It's quite a thing to try and achieve. What about leaders? So everybody I see is commenting in terms of the uh, plebs, you and I. What about leaders? Do we have an expectation of our leaders to be perfect? And should we have such an expectation? Uh, it's, it's without question that we have an expectation of our leaders to be one step up. Like the Tanakh, like the scripture describes King Saul, that it was head and shoulders above the people. That's an expectation that you have for a leader, that they stand on a moral high ground, that they have a perspective that the average person doesn't have, that they have insight that we lack. But... Is it fair to expect perfection from leaders? I'd love to hear. I, I'm absolutely convinced that there are very strong views on this and people are scared to air them. That's, that's my personal take because perhaps there's a lot going on in the community right now and finger pointing and, and questions about leadership. But it's, it's a question that's not about our community here in Johannesburg, South Africa. It's a question across the board about leadership, be it political leadership, certainly religious leadership. Is there an expectation of perfection from those people? And is it a fair expectation to have? So I'd uh, love to see some comment come in on that one. But I'll tell you what's interesting about it is we're about to go this Shabbos to read a Torah portion that so often falls out just before Pesach. I mean, it's almost always at exactly around about this time of the year. And it's all about the different sacrifices that were brought back in the day, in the temple days, and all the different classes of sacrifice, from the oila offering that was completely consumed on the altar, through to the mincha offering, which was made of flour, no animals involved, through the shlamim offering, which was 
at like a peace donation that a person decided to give to the temple through the the um, ashram offering, which is a guilt offering, and then you get to what is called the korban chatos, which is a an offering brought to atone for sin. It's a really interesting thing. I, I highly encourage because it's one of these Torah portions that people don't really read in much detail because they think it's boring as opposed to, you know, the big grand ones where like the sea's splitting and God's appearing on mountains and miracles are happening. This is just a list of this, what you do with this animal, this is how you prepare it, that's what, etc. But I encourage you to read, to read the section towards the end of the portion that talks about sin offerings. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating because firstly, there's the obvious, that's the sin offering for a person who individually has slipped up. And I just want to note that a sin offering in Judaism can only ever be brought for an accidental sin. What's called shogeg, an unintentional sin. If a person sins intentionally, the sacrifice is not part of their atonement. But that's subject for another conversation. So it's interesting because it talks about, on the one hand, when an individual sins. And then it talks about asher nosi yechetah. What happens when the leader of the generation sins? That's fascinating. It talks about other scenarios as well, but that's fascinating because here you're talking about a person who is held in tremendously high esteem. An alternate translation of the word nasi instead of leader would be prince. This person is royalty. If you know the history of the nasi, nasi was a position that uh, manifested in various formats, but most notably during the Second Temple era, that was like the highest authority in the Jewish world at that time. There's a reason it had emerged more at that time, but we're not going to go into that right now. So nasi is this incredible pinnacle individual within the community, and yet the Torah talks about the fact that the nasi sins. And you know what's interesting? It talks about an individual and says, If a person will sin, the following is the way that they atone. When it comes to the leader, it says, Which means when the leader will sin. Isn't that interesting? It's like almost a given. It's almost a given. I have to point out that the word that's used both for the sacrifice and for the sin is very specific. It's the word chet. And chet actually means to miss a step, to, to lack, to not to fail in an intentional way or a negligent way, but just simply not to be up to scratch. In other words, to lack perfection. Isn't that interesting? The Torah says, Asher nasi It's kind of guaranteed that a leader will lack perfection. There are exceptions, obviously. There are those super tzaddikim, people like Moses himself, who we understand is just simply a conduit of godliness into this world. Different story. But typically, you can expect that a leader is fallible. Take that on board. Accept it. And maybe it's a lesson in not being over-critical of those people. Something to think about. Your thoughts on 34519 or 0618951019. What do you think about the quest for perfection? Is it a Jewish thing? Or do you think it's trafe? Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. You know, many people will tell you there's a saying in the Talmud uh, where the Talmud speaks about certain individuals that the Torah records as having been involved in various indiscretions. And the Talmud says, look at that. We don't shy away from it. We, we're, we're okay with the fact that people who we're supposed to look up to and to emulate can also may take a misstep. Can happen. So this quest for perfection, yes, you can look to have a perfect, shall we say, 
Pesach kitchen that you could have. You could look to have a perfect Pesach Seder. Probably not going to have. But once you start to look for the perfect person, unless that person is at the highest echelon of spirituality, which is a very rare find, it's quite likely that they're not going to be so perfect and we need to be able to accommodate and cut them some slack. You know, there's a beautiful insight which goes like this. It says, Typically mistranslated as you should love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing in that sentence that means neighbor. It's you should love your friend or your peer as yourself. And there's a beautiful insight. Just like you know yourself, you know that you have certain shortcomings. And you know that you hate to have them exposed. So you'd always prefer that people don't go for the jugular, but instead they, they just give you a little bit of space. That's how you should love the next person. Just as you would not want to be exposed, and just as you are able to learn to live with your own shortcomings, that's our challenge, to learn to live with the shortcomings of others and not to seek to expose them. It's quite a, quite a thought. Quite a thought. Here's another um, another WhatsApp says, I think we definitely expect our leaders to be perfect without a doubt. We feel so disappointed and let down when our leaders fail us. And we say, but he or she should have known better, should have been an example to the people. There are so many political leaders around. I don't even have to give examples. Yes, we know. Uh, WhatsApp continues. We get so judgmental and high and mighty of the leader's so-called bad behavior. What I think also annoys us is when a leader doesn't admit his or her mistake. Lying is not okay. Take responsibility. Judaism gives us the opportunity to do teshuva, to sin is human, to forgive divine. It's interesting that you brought that point up about being able to acknowledge a mistake because, yes, we are maybe a little bit too harsh on our leaders, but sometimes in a leadership position there's a tremendous inclination to want to dodge it's nat- I think it's nat- completely human nature. I- I'm convinced of it. Uh, and even though for myself, it's hard. It's hard when you're in a public position to acknowledge something that you did was wrong. Nevertheless, there's the other interpretation that Rashi brings on the verse I've just told you. Asher nasi yecheta. When the leader will sin. Rashi says the word asher comes from the word ashrei, happy or praiseworthy. Praiseworthy is the community whose leader or leaders are willing to step up and take responsibility and say, we let you down, we let ourselves down, we misstepped, we misbehaved. So yeah, it's a, it's definitely a good point that that came up in this WhatsApp because there's definitely scope for it. So I think as our uh, overall perspective, what we should be thinking is, I don't expect myself to be perfect. Judaism does not expect me to be perfect, but what I do need to expect is to do my level best, to be as good as I could possibly be. And it's fair to expect that of other people, but probably only after I've started to try to do it myself. Great messages, great interaction today. Thank you to all of you who sent messages. I want to wish you a great Shabbos. It should be a very powerful time. It's Rosh Chodesh and Shabbos. And the parasha is Hachodesh, which means one of those rare occasions where we take three Torahs out this Shabbos. means three times the energy, three times the power. And please, God, three times the blessing for all of us. Have a wonderful Shabbos and a great week ahead.